from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've um, bought stock in a natural gas company recently, and this is not financial advice, sell it. Earlier this week, the uh, U.S. Energy Information Agency gave a preview of the changes in the nation's electrical grid, how that's uh, going to play out over the uh, the, uh, coming year. It's based on information submitted to the uh, Energy Department by utilities and power plant owners. Last year, the same report highlighted that solar power would provide nearly half of the 46 gigawatts of new capacity added to the U.S. grid. This year, more, just under 55 gigawatts. Solar solar will be over half of it, 54%. In most areas of the country, according to Ars Technica, solar is now the cheapest way to generate power. The grid additions reflect that. At least some of these uh, projects that were delayed just uh, because of the supply chain problems connected to the pandemic which is still going on. People are still getting sick and dying. I guess that's still a pandemic. Texas and California accounting for the lion's share of the 29 gigawatts of new capacity. Another trend, the reversal of the vast expansion in natural gas use following the development of fracking. Last year, natural gas generation accounted for Nine and a half gigawatts of the new capacity this year shrinking to seven and a half gigawatts. And the EIA says that six point two gigawatts of natural gas generating capacity is going to be shut down this year. Should current trends continue, we may actually see a net decline in natural gas generating capacity next year, despite fracking. And the last big trend pointed out by Ars Technica, the rapid growth of batteries, not the little ones in your pocket. These don't generate electricity, of course. They're increasingly providing the equivalent function of a power plant in the sense that they send power to the grid when it's needed. They're booming, going from 11% of the new capacity last year to 17% this year. The additions have nearly doubled in just a year, pushing the new battery capacity ahead of natural gas and into second place. The uh, other major source of additions to the power collection, wind, appears to have entered a period of stagnation. Saw a burst of new construction at the start of the decade. In advance of expiring tax credits... There's an incentive, but even though those credits were restored by the Inflation Reduction Act, construction of new facilities hasn't returned to its previous levels. Things may pick up in the second half of the decade as planners take the Inflation Reduction Act into account and offshore wind facilities start construction. And the final piece of the story, the continued decline in coal plants. The war on coal! No new ones will be completed this year. None are in the planning stage. Nearly 9 gigawatts of existing coal facilities will be shut down. The economics are simply brutal for existing coal operators. They're rapidly exiting the market. 
Sounds like the future, whether we're ready or not. Hello, welcome to the show. From Santa Monica, California, the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. Ooh, look, we're in the middle of a crypto winter. Brr. The so-called Web3 spending spree in advertising has dried up after years of flashy growth. According to AdAge.com, the crypto winter has especially hit social media sites, including your Facebook, your Instagram, your Snapchat, your Twitter, and your TikTok. In fact, in the U.S., crypto brands spent 96% less on social media and other digital channels last month versus a year earlier, according to new data from Pathmatics. 
Stunning collapse in crypto ad dollars, including from brands that were some of the most profligate spenders in recent years. Last year's Super Bowl, of course, marked the height of crypto advertising exuberance with Coinbase, Crypto.com, and eToro buying commercials in the Super Bowl. That's a big deal, kind of. And, of course, Crypto.com took over the name of Staples Center. Remember that? FTX also advertised in the Super Bowl with a star-studded spot. Was that Larry David I saw on that? And then the crypto exchange collapsed. The FTX debacle took the wind out of a market that until that point had been a lucrative news source of easy money for ad agencies, media companies, and social media sites. This year, crypto is out of the Super Bowl, and many crypto brands are barely spending on advertising at all. Companies that used to drop millions a month on Facebook, your Facebook, your Instagram, your Snapchat, your TikTok, and your Twitter, are now spending next to nothing. The crypto companies represented a new breed of ad spender at its peak. They moved quickly into high-profile brand executions, such as buying Super Bowl ads, and they were doling out big checks for arena naming rights, HelloCrypto.com Center, and to appear on Formula One race cars. Logo slap, as uh, president of a Web3 consultancy calls it. Logo slap. Crypto companies are shifting marketing messages from the celebrity-fueled commercials of the past few years. Wasn't that Larry David? Adopting a more muted tone. With crypto companies, these budgets have come way down, said a consultant, but their mission remains to recruit new users. Just with a more tempered approach. FTX was a wake-up call for many crypto brands, as was the subsequent downturn in the price of Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency that propelled the industry for years. Bitcoin was about 65% down last year. It's uh, up about 40% so far this year. Still, the turmoil within the crypto markets and within NFTs led to the coining of the term crypto winner weeding out bad actors such as FTX and forcing others to reconsider how they go to market. That's ad age talk. For advertising has been a reckoning too because of affluent crypto brands could spend in the hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Ad agencies and digital ad platforms will miss that money. I wonder where that money came from. In 2022 FTX spent $22 million on ads in the U.S., not including the TV, Super Bowl, and sports deals, or worldwide figures. This year, of course, FTX's spending has evaporated. It faces bankruptcy and criminal investigations. Others have drastically reduced their spending. Crypto.com, which bought that uh, arena naming rights here in L.A. in 2021, spent about 40000 on social media and digital ads in January, down from more than $3 million last year. Crypto ad spending had been ballooning for three years, from about $10 million in the U.S. in 2020 to about $99 million last year on digital channels alone. Until this year, top ad agencies were making fortunes off crypto largesse. It's a good name for a stripter. 
according to ad agency consulting executives who spoke on the condition of anonymity. The consulting exec described two major crypto brands that recently pulled back on plans to spend up $100 million each on marketing this year. I wonder where that money came from. The crypto firms, the executive was not permitted to name them, had planned to send requests for proposals to hire new ad agencies. Then one brand shut down all advertising, and the other postponed its agency search. Said the consulting exec, quote, Crypto, it's turning out a lot of these companies are not being very well run, obviously, unquote. These companies, he continued, typically wanted to spend a lot of money in a short amount of time, and agencies, ad agencies, could help them do that. So agencies love them, but they know they're probably not going to be around very long, unquote. Also, while we're talking about crypto winner, crypto exchange Kraken. Will we stop with the Kraken already? Kraken will shutter its U.S. uh, cryptocurrency staking operation. I like stake. And pay a $30 million fine to settle an enforcement action alleging it sold unregistered securities. That's according to the Securities and Exchange Commission. That damn government. The SEC says uh, Kraken failed to register the offer and sale of its crypto staking as a service program. U.S. investors had crypto assets well over $2.7 billion on Kraken's platform, according to the SEC, earning Kraken around $147 million in revenue that they could spend on ads. Centralized exchanges like Kraken and Gemini offer customers the option to stake their tokens in order to earn interest on their digital assets that would otherwise sit idle on the platform. You don't need to know what staking is. More, I don't either. More than 135,000 unique U.S. users registered for Kraken's staking platform, according to the SEC. When offering investment contracts in exchange for investors' tokens, companies must provide the proper disclosures and safeguards required by our securities laws, according to the chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler. It's the latest in a series of SEC actions targeting the crypto, the crypto industry and comes just week after SEC alleged that crypto lender Genesis and crypto exchange Gemini alleged, allegedly offered and sold unregistered securities. The SEC alleged that to incentivize users, Kraken promised investors, potential investors, enhanced liquidity like you could get your money out quick, if you had to. Kraken didn't admit or deny the allegations, didn't denounce the alligators. Shares of crypto exchange Coinbase slid sharply on the news that the CEO of that company warned that potential SEC action in retail crypto staking would be a, quote, terrible path. So they won't do it? This, a letter from local bitcoins. Dear valued customers, originally local bitcoins was established to bring bitcoin everywhere and drive global financial inclusion. We have honored that mission for over 10 years and we're proud of what we've achieved together with all of you, our loyal community. 
We are therefore sad to share that regardless of our efforts to overcome challenges during the ongoing very cold crypto winter, we have regretfully concluded that local bitcoins can no longer provide its bitcoin trading service. We encourage all customers to withdraw their funds from local bitcoins. Just try. And we ask you to proceed with withdrawing the bitcoins from your local bitcoin wallet. You have 12 months to withdraw. However, of course, we encourage you to proceed withdrawing sooner. Thank you for being a part of the local bitcoins family. It has been our honor and pleasure to serve you over the last decade. After 2-7-23, local Bitcoins customers will only be able to log in to withdraw their Bitcoins. The trading and wallet services will no longer be available at this point. We thank you for choosing local Bitcoins for all these years and apologize for any inconvenience this may cause. So that's a, a letter to users from this company, Local Bitcoins. They're getting out of business. And yet, the very last line of that letter is, Mobile app now available! <laughs> Just in time! Finally, Cash Cloud, the operator of CoinCloud, a digital currency automatic teller machine thing here in the U.S. and Brazil, has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. We're announcing today that our company has filed for Chapter 11, said the founder, CEO, and President Chris McElary. This was a company that had, you know, cash machines, ATMs, for digital currency, <laughs> so-called. This decision, said McElary, will allow us to rework our debt protect the interests of our creditors and emerge as a stronger, more financially stable company. McElary said that CoinCloud remained operational for our go-forward hosts and customers, had the support of its largest creditors, and was still optimistic about the future of the cryptocurrency industry and our role in building it, unquote. CashCloud's biggest creditor is Genesis, a subsidiary business of digital currency groups bankrupt lending arm. It has an unsecured claim of over $100 million from Genesis, far outstripping the next largest claimant, owed over $8 million. CoinCloud was a pioneer in the field, having been active since at least 2014. Uh, they stated in a blog post last year it had over 1,100 ATMs, and said it was at a pivotal time in the company's hypergrowth, unquote. The cryptocurrency ATM industry experienced, you want to say it with me, a sharp downturn in the second half of last year. In addition, cryptocurrency has been incorporated into existing ATMs in some places. That means ones that dispense real money competing with purpose-built crypto ATMs. Ooh, I gotta put my gloves on. This is a crypto winter. And now, in case you don't distrust Elon Musk enough already. It's a smart world. 
You know, in addition to Twitter, Tesla, and SpaceX, Musk owns a company called Neuralink. It's a brain implant company. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? It's no stranger to controversy, according to the Register, the British Tech Journal. It's in hot water now over allegations it may have illegally transported implants removed from deceased animals and infected with dangerous pathogens. Don't you want one of those? This latest set of allegations rests on claims from the Physicians Committee of Responsible Medicine, the PCRM, that comes with a bundle of email receipts allegedly evidencing Neuralink's removal of implants from deceased monkeys that were found to contain a range of pathogens. Pathogens on the range. The committee alleges that among the dangerous diseases found on the implants were Staphylococcus and Klebsiella bacteria, which can cause pneumonia, blood infections, surgical site infections, and your meningitis. Corynebacterium ulcerans, a common disease in rhesus macaques, and an emerging human pathogen that can cause fatal diphtheria and the herpes B virus. More alarmingly, microbiology reports from the deceased animals included in the packet of evidence appear to mention some sort of unidentified, very rare extracellular cocoid bacteria forming short chains in one of the monkeys. According to the PCRM, Emails it obtained between UC Davis staff where the implant and removal surgeries took place and Neuralink employees showed the university staff raised repeated concerns that Neuralink was removing contaminated implants from and returning them to the California National Primate Research Center in a manner that violated federal law. Federal law! Along with those emails, the PCRM sent a letter this week to the Department of Transportation, tipping it off to the potential violations of federal hazmat transportation laws. Neuralink's documented a track record of sloppy, unsafe laboratory practices compelled DOT to investigate and levy appropriate fines, the PCRM said in its letter. Quote, How many federal agencies need to investigate Musk and Neuralink before they clean up their act? Ask Ryan Merkley, Director of Research Advocacy at the PCRM, referring to multiple other investigations the U.S. government has opened into Neuralink. None of us have ever heard about it, I guess. The PCRM isn't even getting into its first sparring match with Neuralink. It was behind a lawsuit launched early last year that led to the Department of Agriculture's Office of Inspector General looking into Neuralink's allegedly careless handling of its animal subjects, which is said to have led to the critters suffering unnecessarily and being killed in large numbers. Now the DOT says it's received the uh, PCRM's latest allegations and is investigating as is standard practice. According to the PCRM's letter, the implants removed from the deceased monkeys weren't cleaned properly, were transported by Neuralink employees who hadn't been trained in hazmat transport and were transported in an open box with no secondary container. Such infected materials are required by federal law to be transported in three very specific layers of packaging, consisting of a leak-proof primary receptacle, a leak-proof secondary receptacle, and rigid outer packaging. 
If a party were found to have done this, civil penalties of up to $96,000 could be imposed for each count of knowing violations of federal hazmat transport laws. Training violations dictate a minimum penalty of $582 for each violation. Late last year, Elon claimed that Neuralink was in the process of getting FDA approval and that he hoped the first human implants could begin in the latter half of this year. Choose your pathogen now. It's a smart, smart, smart world. Now a message from our sponsor. I'm George Santos, and take it from me, nothing's more fun than a bouncy, almost purebred puppy. And now you can take it from me, literally. Puppies of Distinction is my new company, founded from the ground up to bring you the funnest pups at rock-bottom prices. Just think, an almost purebred German Shepherd puppy, fluffy and playful, for the price of an ordinary, boring mutt. And you don't have to worry or wonder. Your pup is certified by the DeVolder Kennel Club, my very own mark of quality and purity. You know, some breeders deliver pups shot through and through with mystery medications, but at Puppies of Distinction, we believe nobody knows better than the pup's new owner. So what shots they get is totally up to you. And when you buy from me, you know the benefits of the famous Santos Guarantee. Up to 90% of our pups arrive totally alive. Plus, you can pay for your pup with credit cards, checks, even crypto. If I can use it, so can you. So if you've got a kid who would love a pup, they don't have to wait for Santa when you can buy today from Santos. George, that is, where the pups are as good as my word.
From Santa Monica, California, this is Le Show, and now... friend the Adam if you've been with us for a while here on the program and by us I mean me you probably recall that there's a plan afoot in Japan to take the tons and tons and tons of water that have passed through the shuttered Fuk nuclear facility since the thing and the water has become irradiated by that experience and is piling up in these storage tanks and the plan now is to dump that water into the Pacific where the animals can enjoy it. Uh, It has irradiated with a substance called tritium which I believe is a variety of the hydrogen thing. I'm getting too technical for me. Well, now the same thing is happening here on our own shores in the good old U.S. of A. in uh, Connecticut. Holtec International, which is a company that's in business to uh, store nuclear crap as well as to uh, dismantle, decommission nuclear plants. They are decommissioning the Indian Point nuclear power plant near Peekskill, New York. And no Indians are pointing, oddly enough. It's uh, announced now at a meeting of a state board overseeing its work that it plans to uh, release radioactive water with tritium in it into the Hudson River, floating down from Peekskill right past Manhattan. You can wave at it, Manhattanites. Although filtered, the water will contain tritium, according to the local newspaper. That's a radioactive form of hydrogen, difficult to remove. The firm says the release will cause minimal problems because the water will disperse. I think they mean diffuse. And an engineer on the Indian Point Decommissioning Oversight Board said it may be the least worst option to empty the plant's cooling pools. Rich Baroni a Holtec representative said the company plans to release the water in late August or early September. Perfect time for tritium, although he wouldn't rule it out dumping it earlier. We may be real efficient and be able to move it up, he said in a statement of the Hartford Current. Holtec said the amount of water that would be released has not been determined. He was asked by a member of the oversight board who works for the environmental group Riverkeeper if Holtec would consider delaying the release until the State Department of Environmental Conservation, the DEC, gave its support. Full transparency? No, he replied. I'm not going to sit here and tell you a different story. We want to meet this 12- to 15-year requirement to finish the decommissioning and return the land to the village of Buchanan. I understand, he said, though, the emotional part about the discharge to the river, unquote. He later said he would be willing to discuss the matter with community members at a smaller meeting and that Holtec would provide a month's notice before the dumping. Quote, I'm not going to appease everybody, 
but at least we have some basic science and some basic facts behind what we do, unquote. The uh, executive from Holtec. Holtec may have the law behind it. The state environmental law only regulates the non-radioactive materials that Holtec discharges. The radioactive materials are under the authority of two federal agencies, the EPA and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Throughout the evening of this meeting, members of the Oversight Board repeatedly said that members of the public concerned with Holtec's plans should contact the federal agencies. In Massachusetts, the EPA has put a hold on a Holtec plan to discharge radioactive water from the Pilgrim nuclear power plant into Cape Cod Bay until a third party can verify the release would be safe. They're dumping it all over the world. It's a tritium world we're living in. During the meeting, Dave Lockbaum, a nuclear engineer and former director of the Nuclear Safety Project for the Union of Concerned Scientists, he serves as the Oversight Board's technical expert. He outlined his reasoning that releasing the treated water into the Hudson poses the least public risk. Boiling the water to evaporate it, it was was done at Three Mile Island in the early 1990s, would release the radioactive material into the air instead of the Hudson where it has a greater potential of being ingested or inhaled. That is, the the air. According to Lockbaum, solidifying and burying the water, as was done when the Vermont Yankee plant shipped out its waste in hundreds of truckloads to be buried in Idaho, could possibly be an environmental justice issue. The projected annual radiation dose to radi- residents in Idaho would be 400 to 700 times higher than what New York residents would experience from the water being released into the Hudson. He also argued that burying the water in Idaho, if it's considered safe, it might as well be buried in the Hudson Valley. The wastewater also could be stored in tanks at Indian Point. Tritium has a half-life of only 12 and a half years, as opposed to the thousands of years of other radioactive materials. So a release could be delayed until it had decayed. Sounds like a slogan. But Lockbaum cautioned against this. He explained the water tanks would have to be vented, meaning some radioactive material would be constantly evaporating into the air, and the tanks used to store radioactive wastewater, he says, are notoriously leaky. Design or design flaw? You tell me. At Vermont Yankee, a tank failure led to 83,000 gallons draining into the Connecticut River. At Brown's Ferry in Alabama, the gauge that was supposed to detect if the tank was leaking failed, and the leak was only discovered when a building next door began filling up with radioactive water. That would be the clue. Lockbaum said there have also been numerous cases in which a tank leaks even as it's being filled and technicians keep filling the tank anyway. Quote, You'd think it shouldn't happen more than once, but while lightning may only strike once, stupidity strikes like a jackhammer, unquote. If Holtec releases the water from the pools into the Hudson, it wouldn't be the first time. In 2009, Entergy, which owned Indian Point at the time, emptied the cooling pool at point one, which had closed in 1974 into the river. And tritium has been released into the Hudson by Indian Point every year 
at levels far below the maximum allowed. Lockbaum estimated that even multiplying the estimated levels of radiation that would be released into the Hudson by the pool's wastewater by 10 would still be less than 5% of the allowable limits. That's assuming you accept the validity of the federal limits. A number of the speakers at the hearing did not, noting that the standards have not been updated in 50 years and were calculated by estimating the effects of radiation on healthy white men in their 20s and 30s, essentially the scientists working on the Manhattan Project. It is unknown if women, children, and the elderly would be more vulnerable. What's your guess? I also, me personally, wouldn't feel too badly about doing this to the Hudson. The Hudson River has been officially classified as a Superfund site for nearly 40 years. Critics say releasing the water into the Hudson is being pushed by Holtec not because it's safe, but because it's cheap and easy. All the cost goes to the public, said an attorney who works for United for Clean Energy. All the benefits would go to Holtec. There's uh, one other disposal option that came up during the meeting. It would involve keeping the pools filled until all of the other radioactive material was moved off-site. This would not only give the tritium time to decay, but serve as a fail-safe if a dry cask that stores the spent fuel failed and needed to be cooled immediately, said Baroni of Holtec. Quote, that's not our business model, unquote. Another option would involve having the Federal Department of Energy filter the tritium from the water. That's expensive. The uh, One of the members of the board asked what would happen to the tritium. Quote, you're not going to like this, said Lockbaum. It's used to make nuclear weapons have bigger bangs. Unquote. Later in the meeting, Baroni of Holtec revealed the NRC recently cited Holtec after a federal inspector discovered that an equipment hatch did not have adequate controls to ensure that radioactive emissions would not escape. The issue has been remedied, Baroni said. This was a good lesson learned for us. He was asked, did those lessons include finding out why your team didn't find this problem before the NRC inspectors did? Said Baroni. We could have done a better job there. He uh, said he was not proud of the fact that in the past few months the plant has had two near-miss events and three work-related injuries. Holtec said the near-miss events were a rigging device that broke while lifting a load. Tom? Lifting a load. And a lifted... And Tom? A lifted load. It went too close close to workers. Holtec said the causes of those events, including workers using the wrong tools, faulty body posturing, and hand-eye coordination, and the material condition of the facility. Its corrective actions include designating a coach of the week to ensure standards are being met. Never too late, department. And over in France, the uh, which is a country I still think it gets seventy-five uh, percent of its electricity from nuclear plants, but um, they've got aging facilities, um, fuel cooling pools in La Hague in the northwest of the country, could be full by the end of the decade. The government needs to outline a long-term strategy, says the company that runs those pools. 
A uh, government advisor says, we can't have a responsible nuclear policy without taking into account the handling of used fuel and waste. It's a subject we can't sweep under the rug, unquote. It's being swept under the ground, isn't it? France uh, has four existing cooling pools for spent fuel rods and recycled fuel. Those pools risk saturation, saturation sorry, by 2030, according to the French power giant EDF, which runs France's reactors. Should saturation happen, France's reactors would have nowhere to place their spent fuel and would have to shut down a worst-case scenario that led France's court of audit to designate La Hague as an important vulnerability point. EDF is hurrying to build an extra refrigerated pool at that location to store spent nuclear fuel. First step before the waste can be treated. That won't be ready until 2034 at the earliest. France's National Agency for Managing Nuclear Waste has requested approval for a project to store high-level radioactive waste permanently. That's a new one. The plan, called CJO, would involve placing the waste 500 meters below ground in a clay formation in eastern France. Construction is expected to start in 2027 if it gets approval. Among those opposed to it are residents of the nearby village and anti-nuke campaigners. Clean, cheap, safe, too safe to meter our friend the Atom. Now just a little news of the warm. There's currently less sea ice in the Antarctic than at any time in the 40 years since the beginning of satellite observation. Early this month, only 2.2 million square, sorry, about 80, that was kilometers, about 85, 850,000, I'll get it right, 850,000 square miles of the Southern Ocean were covered with sea ice. Researchers from the Alfred Wegener Institute and the University of Bremen analyzed the situation for the sea ice portal. January this year already had set a new record for the monthly mean extent, 1.2 million square miles, even though the melting phase in the southern hemisphere continues until the end of February. The current expedition team has just reported virtually ice-free conditions in its current research area, the Bellinghausen Sea. And now... The apologies of the week. So sorry. Dateline Grand Rapids, Michigan. Grand Rapids Christian Schools is apologizing for a school lunch this week. It was meant to honor Black History Month. Instead, it prompted complaints from students saying it did exactly the opposite. Its original lunch menu, posted online, had uh, a Black History Month lunch of fried chicken, collard greens, mac and cheese, cornbread, and banana pudding. By the way, they spelled collard as if it was uh, arrested, not collard. After students complained to school administrators calling it racist, schools started referring to the meal as a soul food lunch on the menu instead. Superintendent Tom DeLong apologized in a letter to parents saying the school has a responsibility to celebrate a variety of cultures, so wanted to serve, quote, an authentic soul food lunch. Although the tradition was recently 
paused during the pandemic during due to food service regulations over the recent years, Grand Rapids Christian has partnered with a variety of com- community members to serve an authentic soul food lunch, DeJong said. In an effort to continue this tradition of celebration, our food service department reached out to an executive chef, Javier Hamarillo, as a partner for this year's celebration. Quote, we recognize that the initial publication of the meal had a negative impact on our community, and for that, we are sorry, DeJong said. Deadline Louisville, Kentucky Center Point Energy is taking responsibility for carbon monoxide issues in southern Indiana over Christmas weekend. The company issued a statement this week that said too much propane gas was added into the natural gas system. Mistake led to more than 100 calls of carbon monoxide issues. Quote, we would like to extend our sincere apologies to those who were affected by carbon monoxide issues in their homes and businesses following the events that occurred in our natural gas service areas on December 24th. Said a statement from the company. The safety of our customers and the communities we serve is our, say it with me now, top priority, unquote. Ashley Babcock with Centerpoint Energy says, There are a number of factors that contributed to the incorrect mixture of gas at the facility. Early indications from the operations of our plant was that nothing was operating abnormally. And for what we were seeing from responding to our customers' carbon monoxide calls, we were seeing issues with our customers' appliances venting or issues with their own natural gas appliances. So at that time, we did not believe we had any issues on that side, said Babcock. The company first denied an incorrect mixture of propane caused the issue, but said, quote, with the assistance of a third party, investigated whether its operations could have contributed to the reports. We've ceased operations at our Jeffersonville propane air facility to prevent a recurrence. The facility will remain shut down through the end of the year as we assess the future. Congressman Matt Gates apologized this week to the family of William Billy Buchanan II for allowing a former Free Soil Tom Chip resident to lead the Pledge of Allegiance before hearing of the House Judiciary Committee. Gates, Republican of Florida, apologized during a segment of his podcast, Firebrand with Matt Gates, for asking a retired Michigan Army National Guard Staff Sergeant Corey Beekman to lead the committee in the pledge. Beekman was accused of the murder of Buchanan three years ago at Beekman's former residence in Free Soil Township, as well as shooting Caitlin Buck in the arm that same morning. Charges in the case were eventually dropped by the county prosecutor's office after Buck was unable to be served a subpoena to testify. Quote, I apologize to the family for the unintended pain that our invitation caused to them, Gates said. Going forward, we will use this experience to better inform on our standard operating procedure for invited guests to ceremonies and official events. A passenger plane has been forced to make an emergency landing after flames appear to shoot from the aircraft's wing. The Delta Airlines flight from Edinburgh to New York landed at Prestwick Airport where it was met by fire crews on the tarmac. Delta apologized to customers and said it was working to reroute passengers. Sorry about the flames from the wing, I guess would be the apology. 
Food vendor Aramark has apologized for the unintentional insensitivity of the menu offered at a New York middle school. Yes, another Black History Month menu apology. The apology is reminiscent of similar apologies Aramark has made for more than a decade amid backlash over racially insensitive menus. That's according to NBC News. Though it said the menu was not intended as a cultural meal, Aramark acknowledged that the timing was inappropriate and that our team should have been more thoughtful in its service after students and their families pointed out that the meal reinforced negative stereotypes about black people and their affinity for certain foods. The company apologized for its, quote, mistake, adding that it does not represent the values of our company. Company has values? We believe this will provide a good learning opportunity to deepen understanding on the impact of systemic biases and negative stereotypes concerning the African-American community, Aramark added. In a letter to parents, Nyack Middle School Principal David Johnson denounced the venue for the inexcusably insensitive lunch menu served on the 1st of February. Instead of what was initially scheduled, the food vendor served students chicken and waffles with watermelon. The menu change reflected a lack of understanding of our district's vision to address racial bias, wrote the principal. Speaking of which, Birmingham, Alabama is the next dateline. Tin Roof, Birmingham, a sorry, Birmingham, a bar in the Lakeview area, has responded after a movie showing racist images was screened inside the establishment last week. Social media posts showed that the incident happened inside the bar last Saturday night. Two videos from inside the bar showing the images on the venue's television were posted to Facebook the next day, the next morning, as a matter of fact, with a caption reading, quote, The fact that they had this on TV last night at the, roof in, at the Tin Roof in downtown Birmingham during Black History Month, unquote. Posts uh, got over a thousand shares and a thousand comments, ranging from showing support to calls for a boycott. That's a range. The videos show graphic scenes from a film depicting members of the Ku Klux Klan dragging a person with what appeared to be a noose in hand. In the statement released by Tin Roof, the business claims an employee changed the station after basketball games had ended and that they weren't aware of what was being shown at that time. Quote, we're very sorry for the offensive broadcast images. This is definitely not appropriate. We'll be more mindful of what channels are shown going forward, read the statement, in part. It's not known if employees were notified of the film playing before the online posts were made. Colorado State University has apologized to Utah State's Ukrainian junior guard after spectators chanted, Russia, toward him at a men's basketball game in Fort Collins, Colorado, a week ago. Quote, we became aware that a small group of individuals in our student section chanted Russia, a student-athlete from Utah State who's from the Ukraine. On behalf of Colorado State, we apologize to the student-athlete and to Utah State, the school wrote in a series of tweets early Sunday. The chant could be heard when Max Shulga, who is from Kiev, went to the free-throw line late in the game. The chants were extremely upsetting in the moment, Shulga said in a statement, but added he knew emotions can run high during competition and people can do and say things they don't, do not really mean. 
Shulga said, I pray daily for the conflict to come to a close and for peace to be restored for my people in Ukraine. Unquote. This is a violation of our steadfast belief in the Mountain West sportsmanship policy and university principles of community. Colorado State continued, every participant, student, and fan should feel welcomed in our venues, and for something like this to have occurred is unacceptable at Colorado State. Unquote. Nick Medved, Colorado State head men's basketball coach, also apologized, saying, I have so much respect for USUB, Utah State basketball, and Mike Sh- Max Shulga. We have amazing fans and students, but this is not acceptable. My sincere apologies. Utah State University said in a statement, its athletics department fully supports Max Shulga and his family. The incident occurred during our men's game at Colorado State last night was inappropriate and unacceptable. We appreciate the Colorado State administration and basketball staff for not condoning such behavior. All right, then. That settles that. And the mayor of Toronto, John Tory, resigned abruptly on Friday, shortly after the Toronto Star newspaper reported he had had an affair with a much younger staff member, 68 year old Tory acknowledged the relationship in a statement announcing his departure. He did not identify the staff member. The Toronto Star said the woman was a 31-year-old mayoral advisor. Quote, I'm deeply sorry and apologize unreservedly to the people of Toronto and to all of those hurt by my actions, Tory said. Most of all, I apologize to my wife and to my family who I've let down more than anyone else. Unquote. And finally, a British radio host has apologized to Foo Fighters frontman Dave Grohl after letting it slip the band has a new album coming out next month. Chris Moyles, the radio ex, casually said they uh, have a new, com- new album coming out. The news made headlines around the world, which Moyles addressed on uh, Friday. I've caused a bit of a kerfuffle. He went on to play coy. I think people want me to say, yes, I can't say anything else. Look, all I will say is this. I can't say any more. Anyway, sorry, Dave. I'm really sorry, Dave. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Well, that's about it for this week. And no, it is it. There's no about about it. Uh, um, that's it for this week's edition of the show. Next week, another one. Same time, same station on these radio stations and on your audio device of choice whenever you want it. And it'll be just like no more stuff flying into our um, national airspace. If you'd uh, agree to be with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show chapeau from, to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for their help with today's program. This show has an email address. Does that make any sense at all? You can write to me. I may read it. Not on the air. <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, there is an email address. You can get it along with Cars I Talk t-shirts, if you like, and the playlist of the music you hear here, and all sorts of other stuff to read and enjoy, all at harryshear.com. And yes, I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shear. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change This Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.